Cause we're the Houston Oilers Houston Oilers Houston Oilers number one Yes, we're the Houston Oilers Houston Oilers Houston Oilers to Battle Red Radio. I'm Matt Weston this evening. I'm joined by Joe. How are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing good. Well, maybe I shouldn't say that. I should never say I'm doing good after after a game like that. Yuck. <laughs> yeah, I mean, your own live can be good. Like, it's it's been kind of weird for me this year because I know 2020 has been you know, really awful and terrible for a lot of people, and, um, and it really kind of breaks my heart to hear about some of the stuff. People close to me have gone through and just like reading about how you know, difficult people's lives have been and uh, knowing about like loved ones who you know got COVID and everything. But like it's been weird for me because like mm-hmm. me personally and like even the Texan season, I guess in some ways, like wait, going off of what you just said. But me personally, this has been one of the best years of my entire life, and uh, and so it's been hard to like you know see everything else going on out there outside my window. But my own immediate reality, like everything's been really good <laughs> except like the external reality has been uh, the stuff way out there on the television newspaper has been you know, absolutely dreadful this past year. And hopefully um, next year's a lot better for everybody else. And hopefully they have a, a, a really great year, as good a year as I had this year, because um, I just had a lot of things that were you know really important, beautiful happen this year. And I uh, hope next year everybody has a, this happy year that I had this year, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, in, in some ways, I, I I can feel that because I mean, I got this I got this writing job for Battle Red uh, blog this year, and that's exciting because it's my first like writing gig, I mm-hmm. guess. Um, and it's been fun writing for the Houston Texans. Uh, as much as I uh, like to low key defend Bill O'Brien, I was happy to see him get fired, so that was a really positive move. Uh, and this is my last semester in graduate school, and I have one final project left to do so it's suffering right now but it'll be so good in the next couple days once i'm finished with this final project so like everything surrounding the nightmare of 2020 like for me personally like the womb that i'm in Mm -hmm. has been positive everything outside of it has been fire but everything within has been it's been okay and it's about to be a lot better once i'm done with this project yeah yeah that's (laughs) awesome i think it's kind of like there is a difference between like what's going on with you individually and then what's going on outside of you individually. And, uh, and also just always remembering that you know, every second, every day is beautiful and precious and perfect. And you know, it's kind of funny like, hearing you talk about like your project coming up and this is almost over. And I think for like the Texans as a franchise too, it's kind of like how it is. It's like the next three weeks are, are like your final project where once those next three weeks are over and the season finally comes to an end, then it's like, okay, now, the, now hopefully the good stuff kind of starts happening with you know, general manager hire and the head coach hire and the ability to do things like cut David Johnson and make some moves and create some salary cap space and, and try to find some new fringe players and kind of figure out who the head coach is going to be. And as long as it's not like Marvin Lewis, um, I think next year should be you really like, at least like they should be a playoff contending team again right away. But uh, again, we still have three weeks to get through first. And then we still have to hope that Kyle McNair and his super uh, task force don't botch, you know, with something that should be pretty easy to do. <laughs> Uh, going forward for next year as well. Oh, it's gonna be it's gonna be so. I I still am nervous. I am not gonna I'm not gonna relax until I see who who they hire, because like something in my 
brain is telling me that they're going to hire someone terrible. Oh, I'm, I just, I'm I, expecting I can't, Marvin Lewis can't. right now. <laughs> like, I'm fully ready for Marvin Lewis to, to get hired here. <laughs> that or, like, Matt Patricia or something. Or, like, like some terrible, like, college coach. Like, who got fired in college? Uh, that, Kevin that, Sumlin. Like, coach for yeah, something like that, yeah. Yeah, Kevin Sumlin can bring the air raid to Houston and uh, have not work like what Cliff is trying to do in Arizona. Um, so for, for this game here though, like back in 2017, the Texans had just traded name redacted for a second round pick and pretty much like a salary cap, uh, dump swap with Cleveland where the Browns pretty much bought a second round pick from, uh, Houston by trading for him. The funniest thing about that summer too, is like, he was going in the year as the number one quarterback and they like had that like Twitter video of like name redacted's name in flames and like really bad guitar music being played. And he's throwing the ball like three yards past the line of scrimmage, and that was pretty funny. Um, so Houston was staring down Tom Savage to be their starting quarterback that year. And so this draft class had Mitch Trubisky, Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, and Deshaun Kaiser all selected in the first two rounds. Uh, the Browns had the first overall pick. They took Miles Garrett one overall. Then the Bears were picking third. They traded up second overall with San Francisco, gave a 2017 third-round pick, a 2017 fourth-round pick, and a 2018 third-round pick to move up. They selected Trubisky at that point. After that, the the Niners took Solomon Thomas, Jacksonville took Fournette, Tennessee took Corey Davis, the Jets took Jamal Adams, the Chargers took Mike Williams, Carolina took Christian McCaffrey, Cincinnati took John Ross, Kansas City took Patrick Mahomes after they traded Buffalo, where they flipped first-round picks with them, traded 2017 third-round pick and 2018 first, and then New Orleans took Lattimore, Houston, then traded with Cleveland by flipping a 2017 first-round pick and then giving up a 2018 first-round pick. Uh, for this to occur. So this is what, this has been kind of like the the going off point for both the Bears franchise by selecting Trubisky, for the Chiefs by selecting Mahomes, and by the Texans by selecting Watson. Um, so Joe, looking back on this draft class in 2017, you know, now that we're here four years later, uh, why do you think Chicago trade up to select Trubisky instead of Mahomes or Watson at that time? I think um, they saw in Trubisky a like a extremely high ceiling in terms of talent because he was extremely mobile. He had a big arm and he was able, he was capable of making plays on the move and his ability to like one man offense that UNC team in his 20 in his single year in college, mm -hmm. I think was just so intoxicating for the bears franchise because they thought all we need to do is just surround these, this guy with some playmakers and in a couple of years, if we have a good coaching staff, he will turn into something special. I think it's kind of what Buffalo was thinking with Josh Allen is that, yeah, his college career wasn't great, but his the talent is there. Yeah. And if we can surround him with something good, he can turn into an MVP-like player. And I think, I think this year's comparison is Zach Wilson, who I think Zach Wilson is going to be a great NFL quarterback. Um, but who knows? I liked Mitchell Trubisky in 2018, so maybe I'm not the first person to trust. <laughs> yeah, well, but, and, uh, and I think that's kind of like the bet. That's the way I looked at it too. Whenever I was watching quarterbacks that year, because like Trubisky greatly improved from his sophomore to his junior year, and like he had that like allure and like that uh, tantalizing idea potential without having all the negative red flags that you know Mahomes had with his like wild, you know, insane style of play. Um, you know, on his yeah. end, and like there was like such a big ceiling, like such a big growth, you know, from year to year. Like physically, he had a, he had a great arm, like you mentioned, like his ability to make plays on the run. Like really, like, the only downside there was uh, like how well can he develop and learn NFL offense? How quickly can he do that? And then two, just like he had some accuracy misses, and uh, but he was so good throwing the ball downfield, you kind of think that 
you eventually that would kind of work its way out where he'd be better at that shorter stuff. And like I can see why the Bears made the decision they made. Um, it was you know, absolutely one hundred percent like a like a terrible decision. It was like picking up like a heroin addiction or something, and it completely dismantled <laughs> like what the Bears could have been. But uh, yeah, like, I I understand why they made the decision at the time when they did them. Yeah, and and tell you the truth, like if you took me back to 2017, I probably would have taken Trubisky over Mahomes because the red flags for Mahomes were bigger than the red flags for Trubisky. So like, and they both had similar like positives. So mm-hmm. you you take the good with the bad with Trubisky for me, and I I mean I still think Watson was the best because he had tons of tape and he was clearly a decent quarterback. But you always have to be a little bit nervous about a a, a player like Watson because he was surrounded by. NFL talent his whole career Mm -hmm. it's why I'm nervous about Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields is that they've never had to one-man offense a team so like (laughs) um I I can understand the nervousness around Watson in 2017 um and I can understand why they believed in Trubisky more than Mahomes but man I mean you never know how things are going to work out in the NFL yeah well and this is what I read about Watson uh, in 2017 this is the first paragraph I let off as I said Deshaun Watson is the best quarterback entering the 2017 NFL Draft right now. This is a good yet confusing thing. It's good because he was great in college, but it's confusing because it's entirely impossible. They has maxed out his potential. Traditionally, it's difficult to take someone with his unique skill set and toss him out to the murky world of NFL schemes. And like I like I was like kind of like immediately I was kind of in love with Watson, uh, watching his video, and then as I watched more of it, it's like I just don't know how much better he can get, you know. And it turns out like when you're already really good. You're probably, you know, if you're already like a really good quarterback, uh, it really isn't that hard to stay really good, you know. And that was kind of thing with Watson. Yeah. Like he's just always been really good from the very beginning and had the had the highest, you know, floor out of all the quarterbacks that were selected in this draft. And it's kind of like that hard thing about, you know, whenever you're scouting anything for college stuff, you're looking at a player now and trying to project him out into the future and what he would look like in the NFL. And there's like a big like you know leap of imagination that has to take for that to occur. And, uh, and understand like the context that they're playing in, and so with Watson, like I loved him, I just didn't know how much you know what what would the difference be between you know, him in three years versus him now. And he has gotten a lot better as a quarterback too. And it was a uh, you know Houston completely made the right decision at that time too. Man, I mean, we dodged a bullet by by having Chicago pick Trubisky instead of Watson. Um, and to tell you the truth, like you never know what's going to happen with these quarterbacks when they enter the NFL, because a lot of the things that people praised um, Watson for having in the 2017 draft, Sam Darnold came into the 2018 draft with, mm-hmm. and Sam Darnold has absolutely not had a career like Watson has had so far. So I don't, I don't know if that's because of the jets, but I mean, like obviously Sam Darnold hasn't turned out as good as Watson, even though he was coming into the 2018 draft as like, at le- like at floor level, supposed to be at least a decent quarterback. Mm-hmm. So you and never. Da- and Darnold's been it, and Darnold's been nothing like that all either. Like watching Darnold, it's like five percent of it is spectacular, and ninety five percent is just complete crap. And so it's like, how can you turn this five percent into like you know, maybe sixty percent and then getting forty percent good play, and then you know having like you know ten or five percent of it's like mistakes that you can live with. And uh, I I don't, who knows with what the Jets have going on. There as well too, and like I mean, even for Houston, I, I don't think like trading up to select Watson was the was the right decision. But the decision that they could have made was to not trade up and select Watson at all, stay where they were at, hope he fell further, or even hope, or even be like, yeah, we'll just take him or Deshaun Kaiser at, and see who falls back down that point. And like <laughs> thank, Kaiser, thank God. you know, he played for the 0 and 16 Browns team, played for Hugh Jackson, 
who knows? I I love Kaiser coming out just because of how good of a vertical thrower he was. Um, uh-huh. But that throw to Wolf Fuller against Virginia is like one of the five best throws of the last decade, you know. And yeah. <laughs> but he just didn't have the short the short accuracy, the medium accuracy. Hugh Jackson never really gave him any sort of easy way to like any sort of easy offense. Everything was really difficult for him. Um, I think he also had some kind of weird like difference between what reality is and what what he thought of himself at the same time too and just seems kind of like a weird dive like the way he still talked about himself a year later where he feels like he's an mvp caliber quarterback even though he can't even like hold like a practice squad job and so who knows what would happen there if uh if houston was some sort of like offensive structure but rather than what hugh jackson offered for him but you know houston made the complete like rick smith like hit like a grand slam like four times at once by uh, training up and selecting Watson and was a hundred percent was the correct decision to make. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can't imagine where, where we'd be if we selected Kaiser. I feel like we'd be Bill O'Brien might still have his job and we might be still looking at like a name redacted offense. If Kaiser was here, um, even though I, I, I don't hate Kaiser that much. And you almost wonder if a quarterback like him went to like a team loaded on talent, like a chargers mm-hmm. or Patriots or something and you know just wonder what would have happened with his career if he would have been plugged into an offense that was ready for his skill set instead of going into like a nightmare scenario in cleveland yeah yeah but, exa- exactly um, and i feel the same way too it's like i know kaiser is bad like by me really liking kaiser i was wrong by saying that but i still like i'll always have that you know kind of like idea in my head like what if he went somewhere that was not the worst team and one of the worst teams in the history of football what if he went somewhere that wasn't that <laughs> was didn't play for hugh jackson he was the worst head coach in the history of football uh, how how would his career be differently? But who knows? You know, like he hasn't been able to pick up any sort of pieces from there at all. And so I don't know. I I just think there. You know, looking back on on his career right now, where he's at, I just think he's kind of a weird guy. He doesn't understand it like mentally well enough at all. Um, in some ways, to be able to pick it up and be able to you toil through being a backup and and do the Marcus Mariota thing or the Nick Foles thing, or uh, you know whoever else that starts for a backup for a little bit and eventually becomes a starter again. Which I, I I always liked, like in 2018 and in early 2019, I I fell in love with Marcus Mariota for some reason. I don't know why. I think it's just like I have like a thing, and it's the same thing with Trubisky. Like I have like a thing for quarterbacks that have the speed to make plays and to outrun players and can throw deep down the field on the run. Like there's just something about that. It's why I like Zach Wilson too. Just like something about those kinds of quarterbacks like I just fall in love with. Mm-hmm. And I would always think like, Man, if Tennessee would have constructed an offense around Mariota's skill set or something, or looked at his 2014 tape and applied it to 2019, he might be great. And I was thinking the same thing about Trubisky for the, this past year. Like, if they just would have done what they did in 2017 and early 2018 and let him roll out more, which is what they did this game, and he had a great game, then he might be actually a good quarterback. But now you're starting to get into the territory of now you're now you're like forcing an offensive coordinator and NFL coach to limit their their like repertoire because yeah. of the quarterback. And if you wanted an actually good quarterback, Deshaun Watson and Mahomes are perfect examples. You can plug them into any like scheme and they will flourish. You shouldn't be able you shouldn't have to limit your scheme to one style um, because your quarterback can't excel in any other way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that so makes, that's that makes why sense. I Yeah. 
One, and it, that, that's kind of like the, the therapy I tell myself when I realize Trubisky sucks. Yeah. Well, and like it's like whenever you add that many variables, you possibly too. I think with Mariota, the problem with him is that he didn't have the arm, you know, the throw down field, never had a good feel for it all. Ken Wisenhut tried to develop no. an offense around him. They went like 2-14 and 14 his rookie year. And then in came like, yeah. you know, in came Malarkey and everything after that. And they went with the meth mouth and like... You know, Marcus Mariota won a playoff game. He th- he threw the self psych touchdown, and but yeah, like they didn't nobody they didn't do a great job developing offense for him. But he also had so many injury problems too, as well. Uh, I think there was also like you yeah. talking to uh, Tynes Filbrum on their season preview, talking to him about Mariota. He was saying like there was a lot of stuff where Mariota wasn't listening to the coaching staff. Probably like, there was different reports about how like he wasn't listening to the coaching staff about like how to maintain his body. Like he wanted to play it this way, they wanted him at this way. You know, like, he never really kind of, like, him in Tennessee just never really got along at all. And so it'll be interesting to see if they get anything out of him going forward. And like, I will say this, too, like, since we're on the topic. Like, I don't buy this idea that Watson is better than Mahomes. He isn't. Mahomes is, like, you know, the best quarterback in the league by far. He's also, yeah. in like, playing for the best offensive scheme with the best set of skill players in the NFL. And Watson hasn't had that same level of talent around him. But, like, I do think, like, Watson could win a championship in Kansas City but could have won a championship in Kansas City, but he just wouldn't have the same production um, that Mahomes currently has. And I don't think it's really all that close at all. And I do think the thing about Mahomes, too, is that like his talent is able to override so much stuff in that offense that even like when the mm-hmm. things aren't easy there, he's able to just create things out of nothing um, so many times. And I do think Kansas City with Andy Reid, you know, they've done such a great job, too, of like maximizing his strength and his skill set and then being able to just like get him like a little less wild, you know? So they've done the they've yeah. done the perfect balance between like letting him be himself and then taming him and not letting him like you know turn around like three different times in the backfield take all these you make the Josh Allen sort of plays that he would make at Texas Tech here and there that uh, just like wasn't quarterback play at all and so they've done a really great job like coaching him and find that balance uh, between the two in Kansas City. Yeah, and that, and that's a really hard thing to do. I mean, like it's already like almost an impossible task to find like a legitimate franchise quarterback for your team. And then it's another impossible task to construct a perfect offense around them. So uh, it's just, it's, it's the best of both worlds for Kansas city right now. And it's, and it's why they're going to be one of the greatest teams for at least the next five years, as long as Mahomes is there really. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I can imagine it otherwise Like they don't even have an interior offensive line right now, but they can't run the ball no, on, it, like, on, like second and one right now. Yeah, uh, and it doesn't matter. Nobody's doesn't talking matter about it because Mahomes is just a magician, and it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter <laughs> one bit. And then it's like their defense has this, has had the same problems the last three years, but it doesn't matter because they have a great pass defense, and that's the only thing that matters. You know, it's like throwing mm-hmm. the balls, throwing the ball, and stopping the pass are the only two things that matter in the NFL. And like you can win games with the other stuff, but there's just so many different uh, gears that have to work together to make that happen. And uh, you have to have like the right opponents and the right schedule for you know for that to maximize itself, kind of like. Well, Houston had an 18 with their awful pass defense and all-time great run defense, but they don't have that sort of like 10-game win streak if they don't play Colt McCoy and Washington and Case Keem and Denver and those sort of quarterbacks too. <laughs> uh, sometimes things work out, and you know, like I think I think Miami had the best possible defense for Mahomes mm-hmm. yesterday, and, and they still couldn't be. Blitz. Yeah. yeah, like I don't know if you can do much better than that against Mahomes, and it still wasn't good enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you can play man coverage like Miami can and be able to send five and six and still be able to play man behind it, um, like you have a, you can have like a theoretical shot, but like holding them to 28 points is, 
uh, you know, pretty incredible task that they were able to accomplish yesterday. And like, that's what you're, you're that's what you're hoping for the maximum. Like, if we home with 28, maybe we have a shot at it. And uh, they couldn't score enough points there otherwise. But uh, so here we are. The since that selection in 2017, and the Bears had one playoff run in 2018, where they had an all-time great defense um, that you know blew it because of the double doink game against Philadelphia. The Texans are one and two in the postseason with Watson sandwich with two playoff runs sandwiched between uh, two terrible decimating seasons. So Houston was bad in 17 when Watson got hurt. They went to the playoffs in 18 and 19. Uh, of course, losing Kansas City last year, losing to Indy in 18. And then now they're in the middle of another uh, terrible decimating season. So in this game, Trubisky, in their first matchup head-to-head, Trubisky was 24-33, 267 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions, was sacked three times, had four carries for 23 yards. Deshaun Watson was 21-30 for 219 yards, had one touchdown, zero interceptions, was sacked six times, had seven carries for 38 yards. Um, so, Joe, why did Trubisky have such a nice and comfortable and really kind of like great game? Like this is one of the best games he's played in his career. Uh, why was he able to have such a, a nice day on Sunday? Yeah, honestly, I mean, like watching his highlights, I kind of got, I kind of like fell in love with him again. It, it reminded me of his 2019 <laughs> season when, when, when like he was awful. He was so bad last year, and then he had that game against Dallas where both teams were six and six, and he had an awesome game and ran for a touchdown. And I fell in love with him so hard that I went on Madden and I traded my Steelers Ben Roethlisberger on my Steelers team for Trubisky. <laughs> I literally did that, but like the 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 only thing I could think of from watching um, the condensed game was how many times he rolled out to left or right, and he had a wide open receiver like six or seven yards right in front of him, running yeah. in stride with him. So this the rollout like dink and dunk offense was something that the Texans def- defense had no idea how to stop for the entire first half because it was almost it was literally almost every play on the condensed game on offense. Trubisky was either standing in the pocket and immediately throwing on a slant route to Allen Robinson or Jimmy Graham, or he was rolling to the right and his tight end was right in front of him wide open. So there was a lot of uh, offensive scheming that was getting linebackers and safeties caught up on other receivers and getting these rollout passes open or tight ends faking a block and then rolling out to accept a, a dink and dunk pass. So they didn't really ask Trubisky to do that much. He only really had one exceptional play, which is when he like threw downfield in the. Yeah. It was either at the very end of the second half or the very beginning of the third quarter, where he like squeezed in a, a ball to Allen Robinson like 15 yards downfield. But everything else was just six to seven yard easy completions that the Texans defense couldn't stop. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, everything was so easy this game. Like whenever that question comes up, like could you complete a pass NFL game? You're like, yeah, I could you just pull up you know, Mr. Bisky's tape from this game. This is one of the easiest offensive performances like I've ever seen. Like you mentioned all the rollouts they had. Um, and then that, he had those two throws to Allen Robinson where it's like Robinson's out wide and he has Keon Crossing covering him. And you're like, oh, okay, <laughs> this is pretty easy. And like, yeah, like Keon Cross yeah. is like opening his hips immediately, has his back turned, doesn't stand on top of the route, is like grabbing, and those are two easy catches. The other one of the other things I saw a lot of was that play action fake out of the shotgun where they have Allen Robinson in the slot and it's him against Eric Murray. And Eric Murray's like playing eight yards off of him with outside leverage. <laughs> and like they're It's fake- like you'll take that any day. Yeah, over and over again. Like they hit that route off the top of my head three times for like, you know, ninety six yards, it seems like, and they just kept running a play action fake, which drew Zach Cunningham, and he's supposed to play like the hook zone underneath it to stop the slant, but he gets drawn by the play action fake and it's just yeah, wide open time. there every single time. 
Uh, yeah. They also had that touchdown throw where they went one by four, where they had diamond formation on the right-hand side with four wide receivers, and they have Jimmy Graham on the other side against Eric Murray. Now, I think Eric Murray's six foot. I think Jimmy Graham's six six. Um, I think Jimmy <laughs> Graham outweighs him by 60 pounds. That was just like, I mean, it, it was one of the easiest box outs I've ever seen for a touchdown, too. And then they had the 80-yard touchdown run, which is just like outside zone left, where Zach Cunningham goes under, trying to make a tackle for two yards yep. instead of make a tackle for five yep. yards. Justin Reed doesn't even like attempt to make a tackle. He just runs with his head no. down low. Didn't, he didn't want to play football yesterday either. And uh, really, like the only thing that made it difficult at all for Chicago was like Weaver called like in the occasional like cornerback blitz that worked out well. Like AJ Moore had good blitz, Eric Murray had good blitz, and that was it. Other than that, it was just really everything was just super easy for Chicago. Uh, Jim Nagy completely outcoached Anthony Weaver, and again, like there's a this is a bad Chicago offense, a bad Chicago offensive line, and still going up like a, this bad offense and this bad defense. The Texans are obviously like you know a much like one of the worst defenses in football, and it was so bad that you know Trubisky was able to have one of the best games of his career on like an offense that's been hurt by injuries and doesn't even have uh, has had so many problems throughout this season too. Yeah, I mean when you have a defense that is so bad that Trubisky can outplay Watson in a full game, like that's that's telling you a lot about yeah it's. <laughs> That that's a and I mean like talk about like regretting the extension for Cunningham. I can't I can't tell you how many times he like misplayed that run game, and he caused a massive run to occur because he gets faked out and then lets the running back just coast on by him. And I mean David Montgomery, I I, I like David Montgomery coming out of college, but he's had a rough couple of years in Chicago yeah. because of how bad their offensive line and play calling has been, and he's been like a man on a mission the past couple of weeks. And he was just able to walk all over our defense, which, I mean, it it was, it was bad. Yeah. Well, another thing, funny thing about that touchdown too, it's like Tyrell Adams has you know the B gap, and he runs to it immediately, which increases the width of the hole. Instead of like watching the back and like flowing to it suddenly, he just runs over there as fast as he can. And now Cunningham is like, okay, if I don't make this play, it's him against three has no chance. And then their entire secondary is playing man coverage and like. Vern Hargreaves is running with his back to the ball at 20 yards before he realized it's a run play and he's being blocked by Al Robinson. <laughs> and after that, like, it was completely done. And um, that was pretty funny too. So why do you think Watson had such a difficult game uh, yesterday after playing well against Indianapolis, playing well you know, against Jacksonville, playing well um, against New England, having some really, in Detroit, and having some really great performances still this year? Um, I think most of it was their defensive line completely dominated our offensive line and he had little to no time to uh, throw uh, to his like completely depleted receiving core. I mean, Cooks, Fuller, and Cobb are all out, so you're missing your top three receivers. And the offensive play calling was obviously not firing downfield much at all because of fear of Eddie Jackson and Kyle Fuller and Jalen Johnson, who mm -hmm. are all having great seasons. So you're, you're, you're not firing downfield much at all, which is Watson's strong suit. Your offensive line is having probably its worst game of the season, which isn't helping either. And then when you're scrambling, you have players like Khalil Mack, who is, I guess, faster than I gave him credit for. It's the go team. Um, able to catch up to Watson. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it, it's, a, it's a perfect storm for Watson to have a bad game. And I was actually expecting, I was expecting a similar game to Indianapolis because uh, Chicago's defense was 
was having a, a rough outing there for the past few weeks. I thought they had kind of dropped the ball, and then the offensive line for the Texans was going to do its job and give Watson time to dice them up. But without without any of your starting receivers and your offensive line playing as bad as it was, it honestly didn't matter if if Eddie Jackson, Kyle Fuller, or Jalen Johnson were playing well because rarely did Deshaun Watson have time to actually throw it to his receivers downfield. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and they also... Like I'm very happy Tim Kelly's throwing these five wide receiver sets still, uh, but like their five wide receiver sets are Stephen Mitchell, chat under lower all the way like the smallest point font the smallest uh, font possible Chad, all completely <laughs> nothing capitalized at all in type one font Chad Hansen, uh, Jordan Akins, Darren Fells, Duke Johnson uh, those are their wide receiver and Kiki Cutie uh, those that's their five wide receiver set. And like, there's no, ver- there's nothing vertical at all. I think Watson attempted one pass over 20 yards. Uh, like he overthrew, yeah. I think Stephen Mitchell by like you know five or six yards or whatever. Like Chicago just rushed for him. They didn't blitz very much at all. Like you mentioned, they got time pressure their front four. Um, and then Houston just ran like juke routes and whip routes and slants and quick digs and like against a good secondary that was able to play main coverage and just stuff wasn't open for Watson. And then it's like he has two seconds, nothing's open. The pockets collapsing around him is able to squirt out there enough times, but uh, yeah, I think that was really kind of it. Like they don't have receivers that can break man coverage, and like unlike the Colts, the Colts just play zone, and like in zone, like you can yeah. stretch it out horizontally, find holes in the zone, and like, they did a great job against the Colts by doing that. Chad Hansen's not going to beat uh, you know Kendall Fuller man cover or Kyle Fuller in man coverage, and you saw that a lot yesterday too. Like Tayshon Gibson was able to play really good man coverage against Houston tight ends, but those are like the problems that they had you know, pass protection-wise, and it's like they don't have a run game either. They're 32nd DVOA. Their offensive line cannot block the run at all. Uh, this is the worst, I think, individual pass protection game they've had. You know, they still can't pick up simple stunts at all either. And so whenever you play these five wide receiver sets like Houston did, as often they did, like whenever you go up against a friend that Chicago has and you can't pass protect against four uh, and you're losing individual matchups like you are, which, you know, is a problem with uh, – with Larry Tunsil getting beat, you know, three or four times yesterday. With Brent Qualley out there yeah. getting beat, you know, with Zach Fulton getting beat, with Tyus Howard trying to block, you know, Cleo Mack. And, like, Howard's done well against some of the best pass rushers in football this year, but he had a really tough game against Mack, who's able to meet his strength with his own um, and really kind of overwhelm him at the point of attack a lot of the times yesterday. And it just became, like, you know, a huge giant ball of just, like, you know, suck. And uh, I felt really bad for Watson yesterday because it did seem it did feel like too like Watson was the only person out there actually trying to play and win, whereas it felt like you know maybe forty other guys in the roster uh, already had their mind elsewhere and were thinking about you know getting out of here and and going into the off season you know and lifting weights again that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, Max Sharping got benched, so I guess the uh, the the door is the door is open and shot on him. I, I think his his seeds his times as a starting guard might be over now because um, that was a pretty awful showing mm-hmm. so much to get actually benched. I think he only played then, one I series mean, also. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think he's done, which is disappointing. I guess, I guess it's not something that I, that I should have been surprised by, but well, yeah, if that's, you, it's, like, it's if you want to, we can talk about sharpening now if you'd like to, and like sharpening has been unplayable this year. Uh, like he doesn't know the playbook. He's been bad at every aspect of offensive line play. He's not very. He, had, and yeah. he just he didn't get stronger this off season. And I joked around. No. I think Martin took all the weights from the weight room, and that's why Max Sharpen wasn't able to get stronger to play guard. But like this wasn't a guy who had any sort of pass set that would translate to the NFL from Northern Illinois. So that's why they moved him to guard. He was a really good pass protector there, blocking like with Larry Tunsil in the run game. He was able to like Tunsil was good enough where he was able to 
overcome Sharping's weaknesses. Tunstall hasn't been the same level of run blocker this year that he was last year. And like again, like if you don't know the playbook, if you don't know who to block, you can't play. And like Sharping's been all those things. Like, is this career over in Houston? I won't. I won't say that entirely. I think if he gets strong enough and actually plays like some sort of confident offensive line coach and learns the playbook, I can still see him being you know a confident player again. Uh, but yeah, like he's in, he's a much worse player this year than he was last year. Where last year he was better than Howard was, uh, and he was like you know a good enough guard. And there was like some potential there for the for the future. But this year he's been absolute you know, disaster uh, week in week out, and it's been you know one of a, a thousand things that have been very depressing about this season from a go Houston Texans standpoint. Yeah, yeah, it's and and like you mentioned, like his rookie year, Max Sharping clearly had some potential. So. It was just a – this season has been such a mess for him, um, and I couldn't have put it any better than you did. So, like you said, I, I don't know. Um, I hope it's not the end of his career in Houston. But, I mean, having a whole a full season like this where you were so terrible, like, and especially with a new coaching staff coming in, they're probably going to be more inclined to – see if they can pick someone up in free agency and make it an open competition for the job um, yeah. than, you know, betting on you improving. Yeah, I think for sure it will be Yeah, and it could really be a case where they might trade him, like, at the second the season's over um, in, in order to, like, salvage whatever value he has left for some desperate team. Yeah, maybe. Uh, maybe, so, maybe. I don't know. I, I don't think they would trade him just because of – what he showed in like his rookie year enough, but I do think for sure like him on the interior, like there's not going to be any sort of situation where they're like, yeah, he's our he's our guy at left guard at all. I think if he might get traded, I would think they would look around and think Martin just because he's acceptable and maybe a desperate yeah. enough team like Cincinnati who has played. Well, I guess their center this year has been that bad. He got hurt, um, but they couldn't play Billy Miller there. But like I don't know, a team that's desperate for like any sort of help at the at the center position, maybe they'll bite. And be like, yeah, we could take nine million dollars and and have him block an outside zone scheme, um, kind of like what happened in Tennessee with Ben Jones. Or I don't think Zach Fulton makes it to next year with Houston all either. So, but yeah, both both guard spots and even the center spot, you can get more play out of it for a cheaper price. Or the same amount of play at a cheaper price there too. But I think everybody in the interior is like, who knows what's going to happen with either three of those players next year? Yeah, yeah, really. Yeah, talk about Nick Martin having a rough couple games here. Um, so that's been a disappointment. Uh, this was really just like the Denver game of last year, where like everything, mm-hmm. everything went awful. And in addition to that, like Watson got like the nuts punched out of him. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that was kind of that was kind of like the definition of like this. That was like the embodiment of this game. <laughs> yeah, last year was the, <laughs> that, mo- that was, moment. Last year was the Cream Jackson, you know, screw your draft picks sort of game where he completely destroyed Houston like single handedly, and then. South the last two games of the year, so Houston can get a comp pick uh, for him as well too, which is kind of which is fun to see. Um, so our first question here is from at Coach Dent, and he asks: I understand that stars never come out of games, but when the hell is Watson throwing the ball with ten seconds left on the clock down by twenty nine, sharping whiffs and damn damn near gets Watson's killed? Uh, why? So this kind of goes in line with what you said about you know Watson you know getting hit in the nuts. Uh, you know he was like he was hit a lot. He was hit eleven times yesterday. He was sacked six times, and like whenever they were down thirty six to seven, you're kind of at a point where like you're in the fourth quarter. It's like, why are we doing this at all anymore? Just put AJ McCarron mm-hmm. out there. Like I understand he's not going to ask it pulled, but 
as a head coach, you know, like there's nothing to play for really at this point. And especially considering how good Chicago's pass rush was, um, it just seems like, you know, malpractice. Like it seems like Romeo Cornell and Tim Kelly should be in jail for leaving Watson out there for playing in the environment they played in. And really like, I have no idea why he was out there. I don't think they got anything meaningful out of the, out of the entirety of the fourth quarter of this game. Um, this game was over since halftime. And so, I don't know. I don't know why, what what their decision was aside from like Watson wanted to play and they'll do whatever Watson says. I guess that that's pretty much all I can think of because I I have no idea why they did it because it was just it was just asking for something bad to happen. It's it it was it must have been the same thought process for why the Chargers left Justin Herbert in when they were down by forty five mm-hmm. points in the fourth quarter or whatever and they were just letting him get murdered out there. Is that? Maybe it's just playing time. It's probably just they want to go out there and they want to they want to suffer with a team. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the coaches didn't want to say no to that. that. That's the only thing I can think of is that Watson wanted to wanted to feel the sacrifice mm-hmm. in real time. That makes sense. Uh, so, was there anything Houston's better than Chicago at in this game? And can you think of any bright point of this game from a Go Texans perspective? Uh. Yeah, you know what? Uh, Chad Henson, uh, mini Chad Henson, uh, he had another okay showing. Um, I I don't know if you can call that positive, but I mean he doesn't look this game coupled with the Indianapolis game. I think you can say that he he at least has a future as at least a backup wide receiver. He showed some talent, and he obviously has some sort of connection with Watson and is good at getting open. Um, Cutie pretty much had like a like a perfect uh, cutie game where uh, he made a few plays. He showed some awareness with the scramble drill and got open for that touch, that one touchdown. Mm-hmm. But then to erase that positive, he muffed a punt. Uh, so and that's pretty much almost been every game for him. Something positive followed by something the, negative. It goes to DeAndre Carter lives on, who is playing for the Chicago <laughs> Bears right now, by the way. And he so, is? Yeah, he so is? he definitely had some voodoo oh on the other sideline. Yeah. He definitely did. He probably had some some like voodoo doll of cutie, and he was poking at it with a football, and eventually it fell out of his hands. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I we still didn't see. I mean, what uh, what is it? Kahale Waring was only on for like three snaps or something, well, and we, we still haven't seen any Coulter. Yeah, 15. he played fifteen yesterday. I don't know where these fifteen came from. These are offensive snaps. Uh, I don't know where where these fifteen came from. I think I saw them out there once and. He was in the slot, and like, all right, here it is. And then the pressure was too bad, and then they took him out. They put Darren Fells in there again. Like, I, I got nothing left at all. <laughs> well, one day we'll see. We'll see him and in, in Coulter on the field doing something, or John Reed doing something. I think. I think Blacklock played most of this game, and I don't know. Well, I, I didn't, didn't see much of Grenard. Yeah, I didn't. I saw Greenard yeah. miss a tackle really badly, and then try to start a fight after he missed a tackle by covering the flag. <laughs> I didn't see Blacklock at all. Um, but he was out there, and like I haven't really seen anything from Blacklock. And like you go back and watching like all the all the film and everything, like the only good thing I'd say about him is like his hands are okay this year, uh, <laughs> but he's not being used how he was used at TCU at all. And like he had a very like weird sort of skill set at TCU, and like Anthony Weaver hasn't used him in that way in Houston. And so, like, they're trying to turn him into some other sort of, like, all-around defensive lineman. And it's not it's not there at all this year, and it's going to take a little bit longer. Um, just because, again, they weren't using him, like, how he was how he had success at TCU. And so, I don't know. Like, it, that pick looks worse and worse all the time. But who knows? It's only been one year. And, again, like, he was kind of a weird player to begin with, um, with how he played at TCU, where it's, like, all pad level, all hands, and a lot of stunts. 
And again, just like beating mm-hmm. guys, just by like being a, a one gap guy who's able to just like split double teams by playing like six inches off the ground. And in Houston, they're not using him like that at all, you know. Yeah, I mean that sounds that sounds like quintessential Texans. Get a player that has weird talent and don't use him with his weird talents yeah. and make him look like a bust. Yeah, um, that makes sense. And it's like I don't know what they're gonna do with him going forward. I don't know if they can teach him to how to be something a little bit better or whatever. But it's like where the way they're using him right now just doesn't match his skill set at all. No, and and it's it's and and I I, I do have some excitement about Ross uh, Blacklock. Or not, not not Black Buck. I mean, uh, Jonathan Grenard. I, I've kind of lost hope in Blacklock um, becoming anything special. Um, so if he turns into anything good next year, that'll be a surprise for me. But I don't know. There's just something about Grenard that I I do think he might turn into something okay in the future. But as of right now, yeah, he's he's bad. Yeah. Um, was John Reed on at all? I don't think no, so. He didn't, John he, Reed didn't, didn't. No, he didn't make. He, I guess he has a neck injury. He didn't make the fly at all. Oh, uh, um, okay. At all this week, so he wasn't there. And like he played the first half against Kansas City because Lonnie got benched for you know talking online while saying he's not talking online at all. And um, and we haven't seen Reed at all since then. Like I don't know what to make of Reed. I don't really have. I really don't know what to make of Coulter at all. Like I think Reed has like a better shot of like being like a, a competent fourth cornerback. Than Coulter being any sort of like NFL offense or whatever, uh, but yeah, I mean, like yeah. I would just like to see something you know from him out there and see a target and and that sort of thing as well too. Um, so our next question from and I'll, like also like I don't I think like the cutie catch is probably the only good thing at all from this game. Uh, defensively, there's nothing. Offensively, there really wasn't anything at all. Like I'm glad Tim Kelly's still using spread sets, but whenever your wide receivers are who they have. Uh, there really isn't a whole lot there at all you can do much with. Duke Johnson had like three good runs and he had that really great screen catch. He's a much better player than David Johnson and like uh, hopefully he he sticks around next year and they cut David Johnson. They get like a between the tackles back to compliment Duke and he's able to be you know, like a, a good like one B sort of player instead of being like the entirety of Houston's rushing offense like it is right now too. Um, so our next question is from at Coach Den. He asked perhaps the most pathetic lack of effort in Texans history. The whole offensive line had zero effort across the board. Was anyone getting into them on the sidelines? Does our rich center rally that group, or does he continue to rob this foolish regime? Has Whitney Merciless just decide not to play? Uh, man, yeah, I think I think Whitney Merciless has decided not to play. I think you hit the nail on the head there. I have no idea what's going on with the offensive line besides the tackles. The tackles are the only one that seem to be have any sort of consistent effort. It's like what. Matt said earlier is that the entire interior offensive line can be completely replaced because of how much money we're giving them and how poorly they're playing. Um, so I don't know what's going on there. Now, I mean, I think you have to give the the Bears defensive line some credit. Like Akeem Hicks is one heck of a player, mm-hmm. and that Bilal Nichols is is might be his name or yeah, Nicholson or something. Yeah, Bilal Nichols. Yeah, uh, he Urban's good pretty good player. too. Keith Urban's um, pretty good. Yeah, so I think you have to give them some credit. Is that I think those three players are far better than any of our interior offensive linemen. So you're asking a lot out of them to try and block a, a fully healthy um, Bears defensive line that is just cycling in better talent as the game goes on. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of how the Bears. That's how they won so many games in 2018. Is that they had so much depth at the defensive line that they never got tired. Um, so. I mean, it was a 2018 like Bears game, 
Yeah, and I think they also forced uh, and the 30, Texans. I think they forced thirty-one turnovers in two thousand eighteen. Like this week, they had the red zone stop on fourth and one or fourth and two after Aikens dropped that touchdown. They had the safety, and then Cleo Mack was able to strip Duke Johnson on the outside zone play where Ty's Howard couldn't block <laughs> him at all. And like that's what made the Bears so great in eighteen two is that they just forced thirty-one turnovers. And then they had thir- I think they had like twenty-five interceptions that year. Like it was absurd uh, how many turnovers they had that season too. Yeah, so the next question is from at Chilcut's Deep. Before today's game, Texans mouthpieces made sure to point out that all the losses were against championship slash deep playoff contending teams. What will be their public explanation of this loss today? It'll probably be injuries. Like, you can't expect Deshaun Watson to beat a Chicago defense with Stephen Mitchell and Chad Henson as his number one and number two receivers or Kiki Cutie Mm -hmm. as your number one receiver. And that'll probably be the excuse that they make, even though it was like a whole team effort in this loss. Um, so that, that'll be the excuse they make, is that the Chicago defense came ready to play, and you can't expect the practice squad players to yeah. ball out against them. Yeah, I think that's how they'll uh, rationalize this too. And like, yeah, I think it's a good way to rationalize it as well if you're going to do that. Um, next question is from Ask Grandma. <laughs> And he asked, man, that tackle by Crossing was great, wasn't it? What's the record for most head coaches far in a single season, and can we break it? <laughs> yeah, like, wasn't there, like, a uh, like an interim coach that got fired in, like, the 90s or something? I have no idea. I've never heard of that before. Maybe I'm thinking of some college team or something. But, yeah, I th- I, maybe, I don't know. I'm probably just saying some nonsense. But, man, we could, I, I would like to hit three this year. Let's get, let's get, um... Romeo Cornell out of here. Let's promote Tim Kelly to the head coaching job. Let's him let him play the last uh, two games, and then the last game, let's just like blindside him with another firing and make Deshaun Watson the head coach and starting quarterback. Yeah, I don't know. I can't. I can never think of one at all. But I mean, I don't know. Romeo's gonna be here for the next three weeks. I don't think you really get anything at all um, out of firing him. But like, he needs to be better about like pulling Watson. They find themselves in a situation like that because really, like from now on, it's just don't get hurt. And uh, let's hang out for three more weeks and, and try, I don't know, try to upset the Colts and hope the Colts don't. You can kind of screw up the Colts' chance of making the playoffs or winning the AFC South by being them. Uh, it's really kind of the only thing to hope for at all. But, yeah, Romeo needs to do a better job of pulling Watson if they're in a spot like that than what they did. Uh, I, I did like the crossing, though, pass breakup in the corner of the end zone after, like, I think he gave up, like, six receptions or whatever. But he had that one in the fourth quarter in the corner of the end zone and he really made sure by saw it. And I don't, I don't know if you know about this player, Joe, but the Texans drafted a cornerback in the second round, I think in 2010 or 2011. It's, his name is Brandon Harris from Miami. Just a terrible cornerback, but every single time he'd make a play, he'd wave his arms, you know, really like a, jubilantly making the, the uh, incomplete pass sign. And he would do it like he would do it, and then all of a sudden there'd be a flag behind him. So he would have these like really bad defensive pass interference penalties, and he's like waving his arms, celebrating. And he turn around, it's like, yeah, that's a, a still a twenty-seven yard game because you grabbed him the entire time. And so crossing, <laughs> uh, crossing's no fly zone celebration and a thirty-six to seven uh, loss really made me uh, think of Brand Harris and and those great times we had last decade or ten years ago. Oh man, I missed the Brandon Harris times. Oh man, you didn't really miss anything. Maybe Lonnie it Johnson. Will learn. It wasn't very much fun. <laughs> maybe at all. Lonnie has a same Lonnie sort, of, will... sort of thing too. 
<laughs> he's just like the modern equivalent of Brandon Harris. Instead of acting out on the field, he just needs to he just needs to tweet angrily more. Yes. Yeah, he needs to tweet more. <laughs> he needs to uh, Justin Reed needs to tweet more. I'm glad that him and uh, Rivers McCown were able to make nice on the internet again. Uh, Eric Murray has that him too. Like he made like that one run stop against Indy where he like flexed his bicep afterwards, and then he just got bludgeoned the rest of the game after that. Had another <laughs> awful game this week, and like I still can't get over the fact that like you know as dumb as everything was this off season, but the fact that Bill O'Brien had an awful defense, just a terrible defense last year, and was like and only added Eric Murray as their major free agent <laughs> acquisition. It was like, yeah, we're just an Eric Murray away from being good. Eric Murray signed an $18 million contract. They cut Tayshawn Gibson. They're paying like $3 million of Tayshawn Gibson's salary and dead money this year for him to play and be pretty good against the Bears. Like He's good in Chicago um, this year. And so they're, they're, paying, uh, they're paying like, I guess, $11 million to get some of the worst safety play in football. And now he's like their slot cornerback, and he's absolutely awful at it. And, uh, I mean, I think it's, I don't know, it's one of the three worst uh, Texans free agent decisions they've ever made. And this one has just been just so inexplicably awful. Like, I think they have to keep him around for next year as well, too. I, I think they'll have to pay dead money if they were to cut him. And then in year three, oh they'd actually God. be able to release him without a hit. But I'll double-check oh that God. real fast to make sure. Um, the next question here is from at Xenophon212730. Where does Mr. Biskey rank in the pantheon bad quarterbacks that the Texans have lost to, above or below Dan Orlovsky and JT Lozman? Oh, man, he's totally going over Orlovsky and Lozman. I mean, come on, it's Trubisky. Like, <laughs> I, I, still, I still love him. I still, he's still going to be my Madden boy. He's still going to be my boy on all my Madden teams. I can't hate him. I'll lose to Trubisky any day. That's fair. Uh, I don't. Yeah, I, I think he's for sure better than these two quarterbacks. I was looking at it using Pro Football References Gameplay Finder. Uh, they used to be a lot better. It's not working as good as it used to work. Uh, but they lost to quarterbacks like Jamie Martin, Matt McGloin, Patrick Ramsey, Jamarcus Russell actually beat the Houston Texans once. Oh uh, my God! Blaine Gabbert beat them, but not with Jacksonville. He beat them as a tight end, uh, and then. Blake Bortles has beat them twice as well. So I think of all these quarterbacks, the one that I always think of is Matt McGloin because he was a Bill O'Brien quarterback from Penn State, was an undrafted quarterback from there, signed with Oakland, was their third-string quarterback, uh, beat Houston during their 14-game losing streak in 2013, and was like really bad the entire time, but was able to hit like two passes, and that was all they needed. And that game ended with Matt Shaw missing Andre Johnson in the end zone, and then them two fighting on the sideline. Like, I felt like I was watching, you know, my parents get divorced all over again whenever uh, that spat was happening. It really broke my heart in 2013. So, Matt McGloin will always be the worst. But, yeah, I put Trubisky above uh, Orlovsky and Lozman and these other guys I mentioned as well, too. Yeah, totally. I mean, just think, I'm predicting it now. I'll go on record. Mitch Trubisky is going to have a Ryan Tannehill-like resurgence. All he needs is to go on a good team. <laughs> All right. It'll be MVP contender. And then pray for a few years. Some, we need some water. Pray for a few years. And I don't know. May, I could see him backing up in like Kansas City or something. Who knows? Uh, so Eric Murray. I could yeah, I could see that. Ne- they released him next year. He would, he would have a, de- a dead cap hit of $6.5 million. But they would save $250,000 so they cut him. Uh, in 2022, he would have a dead cap hit of $1.5 million. If they cut him, they would save $5.25 million. So they could come next year and save a quarter of a million dollars, or they can just like, yeah, we'll make him our fourth safety or our third safety, and then uh, and keep That's him around for do. one more year. But yeah, so he's probably going to be here until 
I, I hope they cut him next offseason. He's bad, but uh, I would guess he'd probably be here until at least 2022. Um, the next question is from at Exile in Texas. Should the final home game be playing a stadium more aligned to the talent level of the coaches and roster, like opening up the Astrodome and playing over there? <laughs> okay, I don't think we're that bad. Okay, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna just clown the Texans that hard. We still have Deshaun Watson. I still believe in that that goofy little quote I put at the end of one of my articles is that like you always have a chance if you have Deshaun Watson. Mm-hmm. Even though this game this game hurt, this game really hurt. Um, but it, <laughs> you can't you can't put you can't put Deshaun Watson in the Astrodome. He's too good for that. He deserves a fairly nice you know fairly new stadium with the with the roof open so he can look at the sun while his team is just exploding behind him. Um, just give, just give him like a nice, nice outing. Yeah. You know? I like that. I like, and I love the roof open too. Like I love the sunlight coming in and I hate how it was always closed. Every you watch or whatever, it's like, yeah, they spent all this money for something they never put in use to use at all. So yeah, I think the open roof for Deshaun Watson is the best way for him to be playing football. And I have no ties to Astro at all. Uh, maybe it'd be a good place, like a monster truck rally. But uh, even then I think it's just full of rats, you know, and concrete. They pulled all the seats out of there. I think it's just like completely empty inside there now too. Oh my god, it probably looks like a Mad Max set in there. Yeah, yeah, it's the the Thunderdome now, pretty much. <laughs> so I want to I want to talk Man, about. You go in there. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. I was just gonna say I want to talk about the the Texans defense, and then I like to talk about their offensive line a little bit more too. Uh, so defensively, you know, Anthony Weaver has been like doing these like really kind of dumb things all throughout this year, and some of this is gonna be kind of regurgitating what we've already talked about, but. Uh, so he had no option off for that quick slant in the slot to Allen Robinson. He played Eric Murray against Jimmy Graham on the goal line. Like, you get to pick your matchups and where, where you play what whenever you play man coverage. And that was the decision he went to this game was that in the red zone, they would put Eric Murray over uh, Jimmy Graham. They're still playing Jacob Marr in hook zones. Uh, they're still leaving Winnie Merciless on the edge, just wither away. And now we're 14 weeks in. Like, I understand the talent's really bad. I don't think that anybody could be able to create a good defense out of what they've had here. But Anthony Weaver's just made so many decisions that have, like, actively hurt you know the already bad talent they have uh this season too and so like now that we're 14 weeks in joe like where do you stand weaver and do you think he could survive a regime change and like do you think this has just been a talent catastrophe that he has been trying to just like do anything he can with or do you think that there have been legitimate issues with him as a defensive coordinator this year i I think there's been some legit issues with him uh I i think he burned the chance to send jacob martin to the pro bowl um, uh, I think, I mean, the Eric Murray on Jimmy Graham thing, I think was bad enough. Uh, and it's, it, it's more than enough now to say, to say goodbye to him. He's been like cursed by like Romeo Cornell. And I think he's unsalvageable, unsalvageable, um, for the regime change. I think he's shown mm-hmm. more than enough. And I mean, like, like, especially at this point where you're, where you're, where you know, you're having a losing season and you know, the older players like Whitney Merciless aren't doing much like Get the young guys in there. Yeah. Come on, why not? Like, mm-hmm. like show us something. Like, they can't be, they can't be worse than this. They can't be worse. Yeah, it can be. And I'm like, this defense is pretty similar to the one they had last year too. And this defense also had Watt healthy for the entirety of it. Um, and like, Cornell did a much better job than Weaver did. Like, Cornell's like, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know where you rank him among defensive coordinators, but you know, he's a very, he's a good one. And to like a really good one, and the same, pretty much the same defense with with Watt instead of without him has been, you know, like a bottom five defense again this year, and has been much worse than what they had last year, where they were at least like you know competent against the run game. They had like some sort of competency as a pass rush with Watt healthy, 
Uh, but they did lose Gibson. They did lose Reader, which, which was two of their best players last year that they didn't have this year that they weren't able to really recover from. But I just think Weaver's just made so many poor decisions, has played guys in so many poor spots, and also just done things like detrimental for the future of the team. Like, I want to see Lonnie outside corner. I want to see Jacob Martin rush. Like, every single time it's a pass rushing situation, like, have him out there on the edge. Like, every time he drops in the coverage, it's a waste of life. Um, you know, I don't, I don't buy the Tyrell Adam things at all. Like, I don't, I don't like Carlos Watkins out there. Like, hit Blacklock more as a defensive end role because he's not going to play the nose tackle for somebody else going forward. Play more 4-3 even and try to get guys like one-gapping and do more of like a, a role that they could play uh, going forward next year as well too. And so, I don't know. I just have seen too much of it. I hope he gets another shot somewhere again because like he said all the right things this spring, you know, this summer. He seems like a very intelligent guy. Um, you know, it seemed like he had some good ideas and like the talent level wasn't there for him to enact those ideas. But I think for too often though, like he puts tiger stripes on everything. Like he turned this defense into uh, yeah. a Lisa Frank, you know, a folder this year, whatever it didn't need to be. And uh, Cornell, like as guilty as he was of playing like off man stuff, like they still had really great deep pass defense. They still were able to blitz well at times. Um, he got the most he could out like a really horrendous secondary. And, you know, Weaver hasn't been able to get like, you know, a, a, the most out of anybody all this year whatsoever. No, it's, it's, I mean, I was calling for it from the beginning of the season, Jacob Martin to go to the pro bowl. And there was a few moments where it looked like it might happen, but it's, it's over now. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Like I like the idea of Martin, like being like a, I don't know, like a seven sack a year guy. Uh, but like, again, like he's a, he's a negative on so many plays. Like he's bad against the run. He's a, he's not a very good tackler. Like and once also guys get their hands on him, he doesn't have an answer at all for it. Like he has a chop. No, no, he sucks. And he has a long arm. He that's sucks. like it's like once somebody gets their like once anybody gets his, their hands on him, he weighs two hundred fifty five pounds. Like he has no option at all. But like it all comes yeah. together where he has these really great sacks. But I don't think he has the ability to generate consistent pressure at all. And uh, like I would like no. to see him out there on the edge more than what we've seen. But like yeah, I'm not I'm not buying the Martin thing at all. And like if he's I think like his he could become like an Elvis Jumerville sort of player if he's able to gain weight. And be able to have some sort of bull rush that sets up by his speed, like, but we haven't seen that at all whatsoever. It's just like a chop rip, and he plays really hard, or he runs all the way around a slow offensive tackle and is able to do something yeah. with there as well too. So I don't know. Like, there's something. There's still like there's stuff there with him, but uh, this idea that he's gonna be some sort of cornerstone defensive player instead of just like you know, your fourth or fifth best pass rusher, um, I think has been outlandish and absurd. <laughs> he's a, he's a contributor, and that that's really yeah. the best you could say about him. And, he's like an Omenihu. Yeah, and well, and even Omenihu, he's been kind of weird. I think a lot of his stuff's been kind of empty, and he's not very good against the run. They had to bench him because he was such a bad run defender. He's a good long arm. Like yeah. I think him for him, like you just want to use him in pass rushing situations too, and be like, yeah, just long arm and bull rush, and try to get to the quarterback, and we're only going to play you on second and third down. That's it. And then kind of the same thing with Jacob Martin as well too. And then just kind of eat some light draws. You'll get beat on here and there. And who cares, you know, at that point. Yeah. Which, you know, that's okay because, like, you're not paying them much. And they they For help sure. with the with the pressure. So, I mean, like, it's it's nice to have players like that. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, they're not that good. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> like, it's like you need some sort of, like, foundational level talent. And the Texans don't have that on their front seven at all. Um, and the other thing that really kind of drove me crazy this game from a defensive perspective was just how bad the tackling was this week. I mean, they're playing flag football out there. And, like, it's – I don't know who – I don't know if Zach Cunningham is running tackling drills for this team, but this constant, like, wrapping up and pulling instead of, like, wrapping up and driving is insane. Or, they're again, they're playing flag football. Uh, this week, Carlos Watkins, Justin Reed, Jacob Martin, even Jonathan Owens, Tyrell Adams, and Jonathan Greenard 
all were just really bad tackling with this constant like pulling and yanking instead of actually making you know real substantial tackles and you know it's kind of embarrassing and I don't and I like even like going back to Charles Adams like I don't see him as as him being like a future star linebacker on a good defense at all I think like he's played well for the role that he's been thrusted into and but he's nothing more than like a backup linebacker and he's one of the worst tacklers I've ever seen like everything's like constantly just pulling backwards and he makes a ton of tackles seven yards up the field and it doesn't there's no yeah. impact plays all there from him <laughs> yeah I don't understand where this like narrative um I don't know where the narrative of uh, Tyro Adams being such a good linebacker came from, but yeah, he's not that good, and he's like a quintessential like five and eleven linebacker mm-hmm. or a linebacker on a five and eleven team. Yeah, that's a, what he is. Yeah, on a lost season sort of team like this was. Uh, so for for the offensive line, you know, we met, we mentioned about Max Sharman's bench for Brent Qualley. Um, Howard can't run block at all. Fulton can't pass block at all. Tunsil was lazy this game, and like his feet were slow, and he gave up like four or five pressures. And when you're you know, paid fourteen point four million dollars, and they trade two first round picks, a second round pick for you, like any square pressure is unacceptable. Uh, Nick Nick Martin's a replacement level player too. He can't block the second level. He can't move the first level very well either. And they still can't pick up simple stunts as well too. Um, so like with this Texans offensive line though, like do you think that they are a good offensive line coach away? from being like competent because this year they're among the bottom five and, uh, and pass protection, like from pressure rate. And they're also last and run offense DVOA at dead last at 32nd this year. So like, do you think this is just a coaching issue? Is there enough talent here to be able to salvage something out of this? Uh, what do you think about the prospects of the offensive line going forward in the future? I, th- I think they have decent prospects um, because I mean, you have, you have the two tackles down, you have them down for the future. And like we were talking about with Sharping, even though he has looked terrible this year, like part of me hopes that if, if a good offensive line coach comes in, he can rebuild him back into his rookie form. And he can, and he won't, I don't know if he'll ever be great, but he could be at least a contributor on that offensive line. Um, but the, the center and the other guard, I, I think, need to be completely replaced. Um, and I don't think any amount of coaching could turn them into anything exceptional. Um, so a good coach could help one of the guard spots and mm-hmm. make and bring it from like a bottom of the league offensive line to like a middling offensive line. But if you want it to be something actually good, you'd have to replace the center and the other guard. Yeah. Well, yeah. And like this is offensive line team that's three first round picks, three second round picks, around $31 million in cap space devoted to it. And they've invested a ton to try to make this offensive line good after the problems they had in in 2017, 2018, as well too. And like it, the results haven't been there uh, um, as well as, like at all there either. And like it's kind of funny you mentioned Fulton, you know, right guard. Like he's not going to be here next year, but they signed him from Kansas City. And Kansas City, their guards right now, uh, they have that Italian meatball who's like their third string offensive guard, <laughs> starting at left guard for them. Uh, I can't remember his name. They like rotated their right guard a few times. They've had Mike Remmers play a lot of right tackle this year because Schwartz has been hurt, and like it still has been competent. Like they're still an okay yeah. at pass protection. Yeah, yeah they're and, okay. And, yeah, and like whenever you have a quarterback like Mahomes and you have an offense to get the ball out quickly, that's really great against screens and make defense uncomfortable. Like there's so much involving coaching that you can get out of from the offensive line 
uh, that you don't have to like be like the Browns and be like the Titans who you invest so much of your resources to it. But like, there's two different ways to go about it. And like the Texans have the same level of investment in their offensive line that Cleveland and Tennessee have without the results at all whatsoever. And I think one of the things that will really help them next year, regardless of who the offensive line coach is, is just like picking a run scheme and just trying to get good at one at one run play because they run like yeah. every run play imaginable and it's always pretty bad too. And it's like, or like four guys will make their blocks, but one guy doesn't and it ruins the whole play or everybody makes their blocks and David Johnson can't make like uh, the third cornerback miss, you know? And so they get four yards mm-hmm. instead of 15 yards and the whole thing's been a mess. So I don't know. I, I've hold, I hold out hope there's enough talent here, but it's just like, I can't even watch the offensive line video at all. It just makes me, just so mad and just so upset. Yeah. And like, I just it's, don't, and it just turns me into a baby just posting there and be like, look how bad it is. I hate this so much. They're so bad, you know? And there really is anything a, I can happy at all involving there this year. It's, it's another reason to hire, um, uh, whatever his name is from Kansas city, the offensive coordinator, uh, the uh, enemy. Yeah. It's, a, it's another reason to hire them. And maybe, you know, like you said, like they've done a good job at Kansas city at getting some production out of that, like, merry-go-round of a interior offensive line and maybe we're just one free agent signing and one like third round guard mm-hmm. or center away from yeah we'll, we'll keep nick martin and sharping uh this the next year and we'll cycle him we'll cycle the center with this rookie we have and we'll cycle we'll cycle the other guard with this drafty that we got in third round yeah and it won't be good but it, it like you said it'll be good enough to run one running play well and that's all we need mm-hmm. yeah i know and like it's in the run game too like howard's been all he's abysmal as a run blocker and uh, that's a big problem there too it's not even just interior from a run blocking when like intensely doesn't make it has made his teammates better well enough this year um for what to invest into him at that position too and like he isn't and like even as like a run blocker he's not the type of guy that um I don't know that like Ronnie Stanley is for example or whatever too so it's hard it's hard it's a rough it's a rough way all the way around along the offensive line. And, like, I think Bami's the example of that. Brian Dable's the example, too, in Buffalo. They have, like, their tackle set up with Daryl Williams and um, and Dawkins. But their interior, they've had a ton of injuries there. They're constantly rotating guys. Like, Mitch Morse has been hurt. Cody Ford's been hurt. Uh, they've started Brian Winters. They started a guy I've never seen it all before uh, or heard of before at all last week. Uh, they have Lee Smith. And it's still great. And it's still, like, they have a great offense. Like, Lee Smith is, like, yeah. a 285-pound third tight end. He's been very good helping out. Uh, with their pass protection too, like they've done a lot of things to make up for it, and that's kind of my biggest concern about Arthur Smith being a head coach in Houston. Like he's so outside zone heavy, and like I think Houston they cut Fulton, and if they could teach Howard how to block it, but I don't think Howard has a good body for the outside zone. Uh, if that's my concern about Smith, like being a head coach in Houston, is so much of his scheme is based around that one play, and I just don't see it like offensive line ways, line wise on the right hand side of it, um, to be a really good outside zone team like how Tennessee is right now, but. You know, they put David Questenberry out there and they were able to block it. Uh, they have Brian, they turned Brian Kelly into one of the best outside zone blocking tackles in football this year, too. So who knows? Arthur Smith may be able to work some magic there if they went that route, too. Um, so anyways, the last thing I have here is what do you have left to live for for the, these last three weeks of the Houston Texans season? Uh, I'm, I, I hope that, like, I hope to see more rookies. I will be as happy as a clam when I'm done with, when I'm done with my finals and I don't care how bad the Texans will be playing. I will be completely content (laughs) watching the garbage on the television once I'm done with work. 
<laughs> and Desha- Deshaun Watson's always fun. Deshaun Watson is is always is always top quality entertainment. <laughs> so and hey, like like even though I I wrote that like hit piece on on Cutie like in August or whatever, like I still like him, and I and I would absolutely love to see Cutie become a starting caliber like slot receiver, even though I don't think it's ever going to happen. So I'm I'm here for the Watson to Cutie yeah. um, connection, and just hoping that seeing more Grenard or Greenard, um, mm-hmm. Coulter and Waring, like those would just be icing on the cake. And uh, that, that'll be good enough for me. And then it'll all be about just watching the playoffs happen and figuring out who we can draft. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, like football doesn't stop until actually the draft in April and then it stops for four months and then it starts back up again. Uh, yeah. I mean, for me, like the only thing I care about win loss wise, is I really hope they beat the Colts because I hate the Colts and, um, like I like a lot of players. Like I love Kenny Moore. He's my favorite slot corner. Like I like Buckner a lot. Like I really like uh, Darius Leonard. You know they have a lot of players that I like, but I just hate the franchise and everything about them. And if they're able to beat Indy and then be able to open up the door for a tight ends AFC South Championship, I would be very happy about that. But like as far as players go, the only thing I care about is Kyle Warring at all whatsoever. I think there's a war on masculinity in this country. They don't want to allow. You know, guys be guys at all anymore, and Kahali represents that. And uh, right now, Renato Canelo is, is uh, the Texans are at the forefront of this war on masculinity by not getting Kahali wearing targets. And you know, I want to see Romeo with some neon glasses on a spring break, you know, 2014 neon tank top on. I want to see him doing curls on the sideline. Uh, I want to see Kahali wearing, you know, play 30 snaps and. Just like throw him the ball, like throw him out, in the, throw him something on the flat. Like you can manufacture and call plays ahead of time, and like have a have your play script set up. It's like, all right, we're gonna run this play on first and ten, then second and four, we're gonna run bootleg right, and Kahali, you're gonna chip down here and you're gonna be open here, and then you'll have seven yards after the catch or whatever. They can do that. Just do that. Just give him one reception because I have this champagne that's about to expire in my fridge that I bought after they strapped him waiting for his first catch, and it hasn't happened yet, but. I think it's going to happen sometime these next these last three weeks, and right now that's the only thing I care about at all. So you're telling me you don't believe in the masculinity of the Chad Henson? It was well, all underscore. I'm like in like I don't know. <laughs> like Chad Henson is more is more he's more chatty than I wanted him to be after doing some research <laughs> into Chad. Uh, but still, it doesn't take away the narrative that I've already created and have cemented in my heart for these next three seasons. In these next three weeks, I mean. The, 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 the goofy thing about Kali Waring is that the, every time I think of him, the only thing I can think of him doing is catching a like a three-yard pass in, in the battle red uniforms and then it going to commercial break while even Flo's playing. And, like, that's just, like, if that's if that that's very chatty. And that's why I think, you know, well, I think, need, I think you got to take what you have in Chad Henson. I think it would need to be LMAO. And they would play the – you'll play Party Rock in a commercial after he catches oh something God. up the seam and then spikes it through the goalpost. Like that's that's what I'm envisioning <laughs> right now. And we haven't seen it. Oh, my it, God. That's going to make me throw up. Oh, that's my God. That's, see, that's what this country <laughs> is taken away from us, you know, back in the Halcyon days of 2012, you know. Uh, but I do I do think with, like, Kahali, like, the Texans haven't had a good tight end since Owen Daniels. And, like, Kahali's the only athletic profile that's there – and has been there, and like he didn't know the playbook, and then he had that weird, mysterious injury, which I chalked up to him being too hot for Bill O'Brien and flustered him too much, and he couldn't have he couldn't have him in his view at all because he just confused and made him feel too weird. 
And so it's like, but he has the profile like a good tight end. He has the body. He was a good blocker at San Diego State. He was really good at stretching the seam. They just haven't had somebody who can hit the seam at all, aside from Jordan Akins here and there. But like Akins is like 29 years old already and can't block. And uh, and like there's not the same level of potential upside, possibly with a water polo player who didn't know what an A gap was uh, for like the first like four years he was playing football. So I don't know. There's a there's maybe there's I hope there's something there. There probably isn't anything there. But that's what I'm holding up, holding out hope for for the rest of the season. Which I don't know what the heck is going on with Jordan Aikens. Like I was kind of excited last year because he seemed to like establish like a connection mm-hmm. with Watson during the scramble drill. Like I don't think Aikens is really good at anything besides getting open on those like yeah. scramble plays. I, I but like that's really important. Too. And he can duck under yeah. the tackles. And I think he's pretty in the seam. But like lately though, the problem with Aikens is that he's playing outside wide receiver. And he's playing a slot receiver, and he doesn't have the quickness to play those positions. Like he, mm-hmm. like you know, you he like he's good as a receiver from the tight end position, and then you put him outside wide against a cornerback, and you have him run like, you know, like a vertical route, and they're not throwing those at all. And you know, I don't know, he doesn't have the speed to run those deep crossing stuff at all either. Um, so I think that's kind of like where they're at with with Aikens right now. Like he just isn't. They can't. They're playing all these five wide sets, and he can't be used all in that way. And then he's not going to block or like warrant playing him. But I get like Felsing a blocker either, so I don't know. It's just a mess that position, and it's been like that since you know 2013. <laughs> it's just the Houston Texans way. Yeah, it's just how I, it is. Hey, maybe you? we'll maybe we can figure out how to trade for George Kittle. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he's like, yeah, she's such a great blocker. It's incredible how good a blocker <laughs> is. Um, damn, I, I miss watching him play this year. Uh, but anyways, I guess that's our show for tonight. Good luck on your finals, Joe. Uh, we'll all be you know praying for you. I'll be sending some stuff up to the main upstairs as well as I can, so you can get your last project done, taken care of. And then you can watch the Texans play the Bengals and watch them play the Colts, Woo! and uh, and that will be fun to end out like the rest of this. We're gonna we're gonna beat the Colts. That's I gonna hope be our so. last one of the season. We're gonna be we're gonna beat the Colts, and then the Titans are gonna win the AFC South by like clawing to their ten and six finish. I was still convinced they were gonna go nine and seven because it seems like they just dropped some games that they shouldn't. So I was just convinced that they were just going to crawl to the finish line, but no, they're going to win ten games at least. I um, hope so, and that's how it's going to be. <laughs> I really hope so. I hope that's exactly what happens. But we'll still be here. We'll still be even if the game isn't fun. We'll have fun, and hopefully, this podcast is still enriching your your life as a Texans fan. But until next time, we should have a preview show this week. Maybe, hopefully, um, but that will probably be out you know Friday morning or Thursday morning. Um, but if not, we'll talk to you next week whenever the Texans play the Colts after week 15, I guess. But until next time, I'm Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to Albert Radio. And thank you for being able to talk to me this evening, Joe. Mm-hmm. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.